Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not misohonia. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic. This show and me to a certain percentage is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. For the very first time under the VCL watch, Tyler Dunn is in studio. The old done with Graham crew getting back together. Maybe we should ask the rest of the guys to leave the room so we can have a moment together. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be down with that. Should have brought in a six-pack of beers like old times, Tim. Me and you just drinking some beers, talking sports. Six-pack, huh? You guys drink beer? <laughs> wow. No wonder I got rid of you. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a scorned lover. No Never good. to be seen from or heard from again. Well, we've clearly upgraded with... Mike Rodak, the co-host now. Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. He's here at all times Yep. with Jonah Bronstein, who handles uh, the video of this. You can see a Periscope version live right now on your Twitter feed. Check it out. I'm about to retweet it. Jonah's already tweeted it out. I can't do two things at once, so I'm going to have to wait for somebody else to talk so I can type out a little message, and we tweet out the Periscope. Mike's just sitting there with his hands folded. Yeah, he could retweet it, but he's got things to do. He's got his ESPN.com Bills page ready to go. What's the headline there, Mike? Bills re-signing Jeremiah Searles. ESPN was all over that, huh? Yeah. Wrote two uh, two long sentences about it. I'm sorry, three. Three sentences. Bobby Rosati diddling the knobs. Huh? That's a good one. <laughs> That's going to be my thing from now on. You're just going to do laugh tracks? No applause. I'm just, people are going to laugh at me. I like that. <laughs> So the Tim Graham show, no longer done with Graham. That was back in the Buffalo News days. We've now moved on. That's a great title. That is really like one of the It was kind names. of a late, we kind of threw it out there early, yeah. and nobody could come up with anything better. I think we tried You're to come up with You're not going to find anything things. better. Eh. I like that a lot. Yeah, well, people did. People did like Sounds it. Sounds like a wedding hashtag. <laughs> I liked it because it kind of made fun of me while also making Tyler right. the first name. Absolutely. You know, Tyler should have had, he was the star of the show. It was his equipment. Yeah, well, I, I honestly Without don't know if I ever stuff, used that equipment the right way, though. You know, we did, I, it was a mess I mean, I was every just kind of plugging things into other things <laughs> and just hoping works. for the best. We had to figure it out every time we yeah. got together. We got kicked out of uh, William Case, and then we came back. What was that whole ordeal? Remember that? On yeah. the waterfront? Yeah. We, um, they didn't want us to drink beer on their property. <laughs> Even That's though we, right. we ordered the beer from That's them, and you're allowed to yeah. go outside. It's canal side, and they right. had their patio was closed, and we had a manager who was just totally freaking out that we were at their picnic table, essentially. Right. This was the Liberty Hound? No, William oh. Kays. Yeah, on the harbor. And then Tim, in his uh, infinite wisdom, took one step off of the patio <laughs> to drink his beer. <laughs> and I left my beer like right by the railing. So I was doing what was probably illegal, public, in, uh, not, right. drinking in public. It's not their problem, no. But that's not their it's problem. Not their and problem. I knew I wasn't going to yeah. get caught for that. 
Right, right. So if you're going to bust my balls about being on your property... Very you know. unpleasant worker. Yes. Very, very unpleasant person. Ran, in, ran into her. She was... Uh, I was w- with my wife. I think we were getting drinks or getting dinner somewhere months after that, and she was... You remember what she looked like? And yeah, th- there was like a moment of eye contact See, I don't think there I where remember. I definitely got a death stare, for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. well. Yep. Like, you, and you know what? And I'm not saying that you are a guy... You have a look. There is like... A, like if in passing, the bald head... Right. Big thick beard. Um, he rode in on his Harley today. Right. <laughs> yeah, no straight Harley. out of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. No, but there are. I wonder if she gives a death stare to everybody who looks like you. Do I? Do, is that kind of what I do? I give off that kind of mean? No, I'm saying if she just goes about her look. life remembering that guy from William yeah. Kays who was trying to do a podcast from her property, trying to give them business. By the way, you know, that's where right. we are and giving them free publicity. We called ahead, by the way, as well. I remember that. Good time. But you handled that perfectly, TG. I mean, you handled that perfectly. Drink the beer, just a, just a yeah step by off breaking the, the law. And then she stormed after you. She was mad about that. Yeah. Good did you guys periscope think, uh, this? We did. Yep. Ooh, no, we didn't. We didn't periscope that one. We have done it. We didn't. We need help. We needed a helper on that. We always had a third person, maybe that would videotape it, or we. Well, she felt bad at one point and brought out. Beers for us, I think. I so think the manager she might, she might have been watching or listening. I think live. the manager came in and was like, "Oh, this is pretty cool. These guys are doing this podcast." And yeah. she's probably thought to herself, "I've been trying to chase these guys off for the last twenty minutes." <laughs> Good times. The, uh, that was fun. The Lennox Grill. We did the uh, podcast from the Lennox Swanee one time with the Bert Swanee Rear. multiple times. That was the home base for sure. Okay, Elmo's yeah. once. No, once. Yeah, we did. We did. Almost for sure. Uh, yeah, so we went around to what, the different establishments. Three years ago now, the uh, place in uh, Orchard Park, Logger House. Oh yeah, we did Logger House That's once. That's not now. obviously Orchard Park, but uh, downtown um, Orchard or Park, East Aurora. Orchard we Park. did it at the brewery there. Yes, yes. Um, that's right. Brewworks. Cool basement. A lot of good. There. We, yeah. Wait, yeah. Maybe we should take the show on the road, Bobby. Let's what do you do think? It. How long? How yeah. tough would it be to do a, a, remote? a remote? Not hard at all. We just have to have one of you guys set it up. Oh, now that's here. a problem. Yeah, so I'd be here, and then I'm we'd have somebody inclined. set up there. I wouldn't trust you. It's one of my few no, skills. No, we're, we do a show late in the day that I could probably go set it up and then nah. be back for I don't it. want to be a hassle. What if we do a weekly hassle? sponsor? I mean, I don't think William K. will be a sponsor, but you can have the we Tim already have show a sponsor presented by Viola, Viola Cummings and Lindsay, Lindsay on location at title sponsor. Logger House. Logger House isn't even open anymore, right? It's closed. No, it does not exist. And that was a that place was miserable. Is that right? They closed down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shit. yeah. And they were going to go out of business anyway, right across the street from the the new or, Labatt House. Yeah, right next to the brand new Mega Brewery, Pagula brewery. Mega Mega Micro Brewery. That's an oxymoron, but I think it's accurate. <laughs> yeah. So the Buffalo Bills, their season's over. We're talking about off-season. People want to get into how you rebuild an offensive line and uh, check out Matthew Fairburn's story on that at The Athletic today. I thought a fantastic look at how you do it. Everybody's talking about it. Bills have to get, get a new offensive line together. They have to restructure. They have to go out and get new guys. Okay, well, how do you do it? And so Matthew Fairburn went in, out and talked to a bunch of people about that. Uh, Jeremiah Searles is not the answer there. He's a training camp guy he'll be brought in to compete jag a jag a jag just a guy um i would think though that 
the timing of the signing that the new offensive line coach, this is the guy he likes. You know, that coming out the day after they introduced a new offensive line coach. Yeah, Bobby Johnson announced uh, as the new offensive line coach. Eric Woods, a big fan of the move. I've been uh, exchanging some texts with Eric today, and uh, he's uh, really excited about that. Uh, Juan Castillo, of course, gone after a couple of seasons under Sean McDermott without uh, a lot of growth uh, or development uh, from uh, from the younger guys that you want to see. And you also need a coach who's able to, in a lot of ways with an offensive line, take some rejects and turn him into something. And Juan Castillo never showed that he could do any of that. Uh, Tyler, you're based here. You live in the South Towns. And you were raised in the area. What's your take on the Bills? And I know that you cover the, the National Football League from a, um, you know, a national standpoint at Bleacher Report. But uh, you're so connected with the area and follow it. What's your general sense on the Bills and, and where they fit in the whole scheme of the NFL? 32 teams, where do you, where do you find the Bills in it? I mean, big picture. Other I than think. alphabetically. <laughs> I mean, all of these teams are hiring offensive coaches and taking chances on young offensive minds for a reason, right? I know that some of these hires have, have gotten a lot of criticism, but there's a reason that the Cardinals are taking chances uh, are taking a chance on a Cliff Kingsbury when he had a losing record at Texas Tech. I mean, you want somebody that's forward thinking, that's thinking two, three steps ahead, that is going to come up with that next thing offensively, whatever it is. I mean, and and there, I like the fact that teams are hiring seemingly everybody who knows Sean McVay because that's where the game's going. The last four teams remaining are the best four offenses in football. So, is but, that the Buffalo Bills? Sure, doesn't seem like it. Does it? I mean, they haven't shown that they I don't identify have a, offensive talent. I don't in have general. a problem with it yet because I think that I'm not calling Sean McVay the flavor of the week because I he is legit. I'm calling his feel, his vibe is what everybody's trying to recapture and and reinvent uh, to replicate within their own organizations, and it's the same type of thing that you get every now and then when a new guy's on the scene, like a Bill Belichick. Everybody wanted their next Bill Belichick. Um, so I just think that so many teams are going to their decisions are going to look really stupid in a couple of years. I I don't understand the Cliff Kingsbury. Well, I take it back. I understand the Cliff Kingsbury logic, but that an NFL team would follow through on it. Multiple teams apparently were willing to pursue a guy Jets uh, who was only a college about to be a college coordinator after flaming out at Texas A and M. He had his program. He could have picked his players and did to run his offense and do things his way, and he couldn't get it done at Texas A&M. So now the NFL, just because they think he might be a Sean McVay type, want to give him full control of a of an NFL franchise, and he has no networking in terms of assistant coaches. How's he going to put his staff together? He's never worked in the league before. So I think it's comical and I could be proven wrong and I've been proven wrong before but this doesn't seem like uh, it's going to work side note though I agree with you on building a staff that kind of gets lost in the shuffle I mean when Sean McDermott put this first staff together in Buffalo Mm. multiple people were telling me around the league that this is the worst staff in football and now you're seeing one by one get fired basically and he's starting over in a lot of areas so that's 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 a really good point. I mean, who's Cliff Kingsbury going to hire? He doesn't really – he's not really plugged in. He doesn't have that pipeline anywhere. Um, but I don't know. When he when he's at Tech, I mean, recruiting guys to Lubbock, 
that's tough. I mean, that's a different ball game when you're trying to compete for the best athletes in the country against the Alabamas, the Oklahomas, the Clemsons, the the, the Big Twelve. I mean, he. It was just a losing battle to begin with, and it seems silly to defend a guy with a losing record in college getting a pro job, but I mean, he was ahead of all this stuff offensively before anybody in the NFL with the air raid. I mean, he, he was around all of these quarterbacks. He was doing what every team should be doing in the NFL, spreading you out, using misdirection, motioning all the time, attacking with a short passing game from all angles. I mean, he, he was ahead of the curve, so... I think it's smart to at least take a chance, I mean, rather than go with some retread that you've already seen in the NFL. I'll agree with you there. I just uh, I don't understand the uh, an organization tripping over itself to get the guy. And it's, and it's so sudden. It was you, a weak you, co- coaching pool, too, remember. There weren't a lot of, quote-unquote, you know, must-have hot coaching candidates out, out there. So I think that kind of created a vacuum for this situation. Too. It happens so fast, these coaching maneuvers. And to make sure that the Jets don't get him or some other team decides that they want to talk to him, maybe Cincinnati decides, well, we'll take a look at him or whatever, that the Cardinals then have no leverage. They're going after the guy who's going to run their organization, and yet they have no leverage. They let a guy with no NFL experience dictate to them, essentially, who their next coach was going to be. And I just think that that is a bad position from a business standpoint of course the nfl is not like a regular business in a perfect world you'd like to think well we're going to take a month we're going to interview eight ten candidates maybe we're going to do deep dives on their backgrounds we're going to have them come in have a second interview maybe even a third interview where they come in and present some things to us show us what their playbook's going to look like or what their organizational plan is going to be not only in the first year but in the third year the fifth year you know there's all kinds of things that you can do in the business world to make sure that you get, if not the right candidate, the best, make the best guess. But here's a guy that all of a sudden had no idea that he was even going to be an NFL candidate or else he wouldn't have signed a contract to go to Southern Cal to be their offensive coordinator, which he had to back out of after a week. He had not even him. You'd think the most optimistic person about Cliff Kingsbury's future would be <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury, right? No, he's like, eh, I'll be a college coordinator, I guess. Oh, but wait, now my agent is fielding calls from NFL owners wanting to okay. talk to me. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And he might be, and he might turn out to be great. I'm not saying he's going to yeah. fail. I'm just saying that the process is so catawampus. It's so just That's a obnoxious. That's a right there. That's a, well, if my father could say that word and come up with uh, some of the th- words that I use, yes, he sent me to the dictionary a few times. But yeah, he it, it, well, he wa- he wasn't uh, he never applied for Mensa. My father, <laughs> okay, he was not a Rhodes Scholar. This guy, but yeah, so that was a that's a Harry Graham word. What Catawampus. I think we're seeing is teams. Ty said it right, taking a chance on guys who can be the quarterback. Fixer, because right now, if you're Steve Kime in Arizona, your job is on the line. Not only because you had extreme DUI arrest this past year, but because your draft pick, your first round pick this year, Josh Rosen, looked awful this year. He was the worst of the five rookie quarterbacks to play, and so you're trying to find somebody to fix your own mistake. You're trying to find a quarterback whisperer, and you're saying, "We'll take our chances with the defense. We'll take our chances with." everything else that comes with being a head coach, the game management, the the CEO aspect of that job. We're trying to find 
a quarterback fixer and then work from there. Because if we fix our quarterback, then we'll have a chance. I think a lot of teams see it that way. As long as we have a quarterback, as long as we have a, a passing offense in the league these days, then we'll have a shot. I'm not saying the Bills did it the wrong way, but Sean McDermott is very good at coaching defensive backs. The best thing that he's done since he's been here is, is gone out and, and signed Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. He's developed Tredavious White into a very good player. He's developed Levi Wallace into a good player at this point, early point in his career. Taron Johnson he's developed into a good player. He'd be a top three defensive backs coach in the NFL. He'd be a top five or ten defensive coordinator. Right now he's probably bottom half in terms of head coaches and trying to build that up because the offensive side of the ball – there's been no development. Zay Jones has been... There are a lot of offensive coaches out there who aren't any good either. Right. And whose teams and their quarterbacks aren't responding. And there have been quarterback right. gurus have been given the but reins But I think of... teams would rather take their chances on... I'm not saying it's right, but this is how they seem to be seeing it these days, is let's take our chance on a guy, try to fix the quarterback position, and try to fix our offense rather than... Let's try to fix our defense and take our chances with the offense. Well, I don't know it, if the latter has really worked for too many teams. And this is a pet peeve of mine, a phrase I'm about to use, a copycat league. And I hate that phrase because it's a copycat phrase. Like everybody just <laughs> – somebody said it at one point, now everybody just repeats it But because you can't come up with anything better. But it is a monkey see, monkey do. Those guys are winning. Get me one of those. Well, you know what? There probably isn't another Sean McVay out there, just like there wasn't another Bill Walsh and uh, that's what you know. Sam Weish was going to be the next Bill Walsh or anybody off these trees that you get. Romeo Cornell uh, is going to be a, a Bill Belichick type. Uh, it's They look for that chip-off-the-old-block type uh, coach, and so rarely does it work. And when times that it does work, I don't think, and I'm saying this off the top of my head, but I'm saying it with confidence, you could probably go back and look at the successful coaches who have been uh, a mimic or have been, you know, worked at the knee of, of somebody like uh, Bill Belichick did with Bill Parcells or Weish with uh, Bill Walsh. Um, Andy Reid, you know, all these different guys that have these trees and come from the lineage. But I think that when it has been successful, you wouldn't look back on it and say they did it like the Cardinals did with Cliff Kingsbury. All of a sudden, whiplash, let's go get this guy who just signed to be a college coordinator who has no idea that the NFL is going to come looking for him. That, to me, is the most damning thing about it, is that Cliff Kingsbury didn't even have the wherewithal or the confidence to say, you know what, I'm going to hang on a little bit and see if the NFL is going to come a-calling. He didn't even, it was against, it, it, he couldn't even fathom it. You made a good point earlier, too, about I did? The, the, proce- <laughs> the, the process just being messed up. Like, I mean, there, there's people around the league you know, starting with the Mike Mayock hire in Oakland, like shaking their heads, like what in the heck is going on here? Like, what does it take to move up in the NFL? And like, quick story: when I was in Green Bay, I don't know, it was probably 2012, 2013, doing a story on Mike McCarthy and and his work with quarterbacks, and sat down with him for a good 40 minutes. Great conversation, great talk. But he made a point. Like, it was obvious he was trying to build up Ben McAdoo in this interview, like doing his his darnest, like to to make Ben McAdoo out to be like like a mini Mike McCarthy, a mini me, this guy deserves to be a head coach. And in my story, I, I, I don't even know if I mentioned it really. And then afterwards, I heard through a Packers um, official that, uh, you know, he liked the story, but he was really upset that, 
you know, you didn't really build up Ben McAdoo. Obviously, that's not our jobs in this business. Well, turns out Ben McAdoo does get a head coaching job soon after, probably because Mike McCarthy's building him up as much as he can. Little does everybody know. Aaron Rodgers is covering up a lot of Mike McCarthy's so issues. McCarthy's much. not as good as we thought, and Ben McAdoo falls flat on his face with the Giants. So much smoke and mirrors, especially from the agents who represent coaches. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is why Doug Marone has been a hot candidate every time. You know, All of a sudden, people didn't even know who Doug Marone was <laughs> before he was the Bills head coach. Right. You, you went to Syracuse. The people who went to Syracuse were scratching their heads like, well, we kind of like Doug Marone. He's gotten us back to relevancy, but all of a sudden he is he's up for six NFL jobs. And then when he was let go from the Bills and the the assumption that he was going to go to the Jets and that got torpedoed by one particularly damning column by Manish Mehta in New York. Uh, and then all of a sudden the a year goes by and he's up for all the big jobs again. And it's his agent, Jimmy Sexton, who's brilliant at using the national media to prop up certain candidates. And I don't Cliff Kingsbury didn't even have that. No. He didn't have the That's usual why I like the, hire. the agent driven <laughs> yeah. this is the next hot guy. You got to and because the agent might give a reporter a certain bit of information that the reporter feels beholden to say all right, here, what I'm hearing is so-and-so is going to be a hot commodity. Um, but there much is so like, much of that, isn't there? So much of well, that. Russ Brandon, yeah, Russ Brandon was only going to, was going to land on his feet really soon, according to Adam Schefter. That's right. Sorry, Mike. But it was, uh, <laughs> but I mean, that happens. It happens it all the time. All the time. People don't even know it. They're, they're blind to it because it's, happen- it's happening in plain sight. I mean, Chris Mortensen is one of the most beloved reporters out there. I love him. He's been personally nice to me. Um, uh, I mean, the type of guy who, when you'd call him, he would ask how you were doing. I had my dad was ill at the time. He would say, you know, I'm saying prayers for your dad. And so, but Chris Mortensen got duped a couple of times by Bill Parcells twice. I mean, this is what Bill, this is what, how a guy uses the media, can manipulate the media, respected guys. And when Bill Parcells uh, was going to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so hard that the Buccaneers fired Tony Dungy to clear the way for Bill Parcells. And it was reported all over the place, mostly by Chris was at the head of it. You know, was And what happened? Bill Parcells went to the Dallas Cowboys. He was using the Buccaneers to get more money out of Jerry Jones. Yeah, I'm, sta- I'm in the Miami Dolphins locker room. Chris Mortensen is on the television, and one of the linemen... I can't, I can't quite remember, but I remember where I, I want to say it was Vernon Carey, maybe. I'm getting ready to talk to him, and he's staring up at the television. And he says, the tuna's coming back to the NFL, huh? And I look up, and it's Chris Mortensen talking about Bill Parcells going to the Atlanta Falcons. It's a, it's a pretty much a done deal. The next day, the Miami Dolphins, the place where I was standing 24 hours earlier, watching Bill Parcells going to the Atlanta Falcons, announced that Bill Parcells is joining the Dolphins as their vice president of football operations. Parcells, again, through the media and the power twisting their arm, got more money out of the Miami Dolphins and Wayne Huizenga, the owner at the time, by saying, I'm going to the Falcons and putting it out there for the world. So, bad, not the best for journalism. I mean, but that's how it happens all the time. Oh, yeah, that's how with the sauce players is all the time. With the players, right. yeah, but agents, coaches, everybody twisting the arm or using the the media as leverage to get what they want and to make it seem like you're a hotter candidate than you really are or sometimes making you seem like a legit 
maybe you are, or turning you into a legitimate candidate when a team wasn't thinking about you to begin with. I guess that's that's why good agents are worth the commission you pay them. No, no kidding. I mean, with players, I'm talking free agency. I've had agents tell me how, hey, Tyler, you know, you, you should you should get involved in the game. There's some national reporters out there who are a part of the process. I mean, they're literally a part of that negotiating process on, all right, this is what I'm hearing. They're going to pay for your guy here. This is what I'm hearing. They're going to pay for your guy here. And, and guess who's I – mean, news gets broken along the way. I, I don't want to put any – all right, I'll put it on. I, I like to go with transparency on the show. If, I'm keeping if, it vague. If, if nobody wants, I don't, I don't know names. No, 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 no. I'm not going to say that. Is anybody in here represented? Yes. Does anybody? You have an agent? No. Yes. Okay. You don't have an agent, no. Tyler. Okay. I don't have an agent. I have flirted with getting one before. I've been approached um, a couple of times, and it just never worked out because, yeah, it just. If I ever thought I needed to make the next step, or I was needed somebody to go out there and bang the drum for me, then maybe. But I've so I understand it. But it's also a little bit of a, it's a it's a tightrope to walk mm-hmm. because there are journalists out there who have agents who also represent people in the business. Now, that's not to say that agents in general are a bad concept. You could have an agent who isn't even it doesn't represent anybody in the NFL or sports, or it might be just a, an attorney uh, who handles media people. But there are reporters out there who are re- uh, represented by the people who represent the coaches, who represent the players, and um, so anyway, just a just a point to be made. Yeah. I'll leave yeah. it at that. I, I won't be- use a name, but there is a member of the national media who there was a head coach who was hired within the last couple of years, let's say, and he basically told me that yeah, I, I assembled his staff for him. Like I know all the guys, the assistant coaches, and I found these guys and got them connected and made the staff form. Wow. So. Well, well, there's probably a connection between Mike Mayock being the general manager for John Gruden, both of those guys coming out of the TV booth. I mean, I don't know who's whose agent, but it, it, all of the coaching hires seem pretty agent-driven in a way. John Gruden is with uh, Bob Lamont, who also represents uh, Sean McDermott. McDermott. A it's lot interesting. Of the Andy guys. Yeah, it's interesting to go Bob Lamont's website. And we'll get into it. We need to take a break. We'll uh, we'll go down the list and mm-hmm. we'll see if the connect. You see the connections all the time. No longer Josh McDaniels though. Depending he fired on him. what McDaniels fired Lamont after the whole debacle last year with Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. All right. So when we come back, we have Tyler Dunn here in studio with us for two hours. Love that you're here, Tyler. Thanks for carving some time out. We're going to talk about his recent story at Bleacher Report about former Bills receiver Robert Woods and what he's doing in Los Angeles as maybe not a superstar, but the type of guy that if you when you watch him on national TV, which we do a lot, that's what the Rams are. That's what they've become. They're entertaining, and Robert Woods is in there and influential and a big part of what the Rams are doing. Uh, I want to get into these uh, minority hires or lack thereof. And uh, what's happening with NFL head coaching and general manager moves in which a lot of minorities were let go uh, over the past month or so, but not getting replaced by minorities. And, uh, of course, we're going to talk about the two games this weekend, New England at Kansas City, New Orleans against the Rams. Uh, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, or workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys, call 285 Visit on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Uh, Tim's discounted prices shot out of the ground. Welcome back to a very special edition of the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. 
and on the 1270 app. What's that thing called, Bobby? You got it. The Sports they, Radio 1270 The Fan app. Just the whole thing. Yeah, basically. 1270 The Fan, you know. I didn't know if there was some sort of branding that, that was on no. there, like the fan app or... No, just 1270. Because we're the only 1270, the fan. Because the way... The FAP, did you say, Jonah? Yeah, that would be a little bit of a pun there. <laughs> yeah. F-A, apost- like apostrophe for the missing N. A-P-P. What does FAP mean? It's an abbreviation. It's an abbrevi- oh, it? abbreviation for uh, fan app. Uh. <laughs> so get you some of that. Get you some FAP, Mike Rodak. I'm going to withhold comment on that one. <laughs> The Tim Graham Show, and they've never been prouder, is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Tyler Dunn's here in studio. Tyler Dunn, of course, of the Bleacher Report, formerly of the Buffalo News, formerly of the Milwaukee Sentinel, formerly of USA Today. Uh, we don't count Formerly that. of uh, what else are we missing? There's a couple others. You, know, you, had, a, you had cups of coffee. <laughs> you were known for a while for your cups of coffee. Milwaukee Journal Sentinel covered the Packers for five years, covered the Bills at the Buffalo News for a year, and then I went to Bleach Report. This is my third season. So if anybody has a problem, you know where to reach me. Uh-oh. Tim, you're right here. So I didn't say I had a problem. It's it's funny. There's some reporters, though. Les Bowen, I, I like Les a lot. Funny Philadelphia guy. Inquirer. Philadelphia. Every time or I Philadelphia see him. Philadelphia Daily News. I was getting confused because they're kind of merged now. Every time I see him, oh Tyler, you take a new job already? It's like it's like eight, the last eighteen times I've seen him, and mm-hmm. it's just he's not alone. Not not mean to pick on Wes, but uh, less. It's uh, but no, I mean yeah, there was a, a couple week stint with USA Today in there. Just was not a fit. I noticed it right away and went back to the Journal Sentinel. Where were you before the Buffalo News or before the Journal Sentinel? Um, oh, so out of college, I worked, my first job was Fayetteville Observer in North Carolina, covering high school sports. And then, since I had interned at the Buffalo News in college, that was, that magnetic pull of home pulled me back, and I wasn't really on a beat. I kind of, you were, I don't think you were back at the Buffalo News yet. I wasn't. Um, so I just kind of, I did some editing, some writing, um, some features here and there, the opportunity for growth at the time just was non-existent, so then that's when I went to the Journal Sentinel. When you were at the Buffalo News as the Bills beat writer, you just said one year. That was it? Um, Yeah. 2015. It feels like you were there for a while because you did so much great work. Yeah. I mean, you were relentless. Oh, well, thank you. That was a, it was a fun year, man. Making Rex the rest Ryan's of us look bad. Mm-hmm. Did, you know, did you know it was only going to be one year, and you're like, i got to get all these stories out no. before the time's up? I loved it. That no, was a good I, I, year. It was a it was a fun year yeah. professionally. You know, I would say guys like Mike Rodak was yeah about the only downfall. Really, out of <laughs> out of the six seasons I've covered this team, that 2015 team yeah. was the most interesting because that was when they went out and got shady. And they're all drunk on the yacht, and Rex came in and he's parachuting when he first got here and eating dog biscuits and bicycle built for two. Yes. Or no, that was that the was, next that year. Was an that was the Rob. second year. And then you had, you know, Charles Clay comes in, Cassius Clay, um, Sammy Watkins. He wrote some good stories about. That was a, it was an exciting was year where everything just kind of fell flat. ownership, of course. Yep. That was still the glow still of fresh. the Pagulas are going to save the team. So one Buffalo was becoming 
uh, a big thing. I would say by far fan expectations out of my six years were the highest that year. And they went at eight and eight. I think we could get in. Seven and nine. We would quibble over the definition of terms maybe because excitement – I don't think they cared if they made the playoffs. There was this unleashing of stress that our team isn't going to move to Los Angeles or Toronto. Mm-hmm. There was a, I, I think there was a DG, DGAF factor among the fan base there. It was like, we have our team. Go out there and play, and we can have some fun watching these games. I don't have to keep one foot yeah. uh, in uh, off, off the bandwagon because uh, – I don't want to have my heart broken when the team leaves. I think there was like a, we don't care. I think fans thought they were going to make the playoffs. Rex well, yeah, coming Rex. in and making the – He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Right. It was considered maybe the the most talented Bills team in however many years. They, yeah. As you mentioned, McCoy, Percy Harvin. Not all these guys worked out. Percy but coming Harvin, into yeah. the start of that season. That's another one. Richie Incognito. They still had Mario Williams, some of those guys. They had a lot of names and, and talent on that team. Three receivers from that team currently in conference championships as well. Yeah. I mean, I mean Rex screwed up the defense. They had average quarterback play on offense. I mean, if I mean, those are two big ifs, they, they but played in that was London about it. That year. I mean, they could have been a contender if, if not for that. Right. Tyrod comes in, and I mean, there was some like that was the most exciting part of Tyrod was that first year because that's when he was just slinging the ball deep. In fact, if, if you look at the stats, if you go back to like 06, I think it is, in terms of air yards per pass, Josh Allen's number two. His season this year is the second most behind Tim Tebow, I think. And I think Tyrod's in the top five in 2015. He was just chucking the ball deep yeah. to Percy Harvin. Sammy. Chris Sammy Hogan, Martin. Sammy, that yeah. game in Kansas City. Let's talk about that for a second. And we have we have another hour and a half to go on the show, so we can ease into different topics. Yeah. But Tyler mentioned something uh, just a couple of minutes ago regarding three receivers, mm-hmm. and they play prominent roles, are still alive in the conference round of the NFL playoffs. And it's Sammy Watkins in Kansas City, Robert Woods in Los Angeles, where uh, Tyler just was and did a great feature on Robert Woods, and Chris Hogan, uh, Hogan with the uh, New England Patriots. And Kelvin Benjamin, theoretically, too. Even though <laughs> well, that's a healthy scratch that's last right. week. Okay. So, but I got into, uh, I just shouldn't say I got into it. I monitored. I, I don't get it. Twitter, as time goes on, I'm just on it less and less. In fact, I got a... A text today from uh, somebody who works at uh, Pagula Sports and Entertainment, uh, and he said, uh, you've been eerily quiet lately. <laughs> like he's waiting for me to do something. But um, but I wrote a story last week about the hiring process in 2015 when a lot of Frank Reich's former teammates wanted to lobby for him to get the job after Doug Marone quit, but Russ Brandon wasn't returning their calls. And Frank Reich obviously has shown himself to be a pretty good NFL coach, offensive coordinator with the Philadelphia Eagles last year. He uh, helped them win a Super Bowl and managed the whole Nick Foles uh, situation after Carson Wentz got hurt, and then goes to Indianapolis and turned them into probably at any given time this year, maybe the hottest team. If you take a look at whoever was hot at any time, nobody was hotter than the Colts when the Colts were hot. If that makes any sense, we need another word for that too. I mean, how often this past month have you heard, "Oh, this quarterback's hot. This team's hot. <laughs> They're all we hot." Need Scolding, something else. Molten. <laughs> Molten. Yeah, there we go. I like it. Searing. So, people on Twitter were saying, "Yeah, but Frank Reich wouldn't have worked out here. Uh, it, that wouldn't have mattered. He wasn't ready yet. He was still a coordinator at the Chargers at the time. He didn't have a quarterback. Yeah, he's got Andrew Luck now. Well, 
he would have had some pretty good tools if he would have come in in 2015. He would have had Sammy Watkins, Chris Hogan, and Robert Woods. Who knows what he would have done in terms of getting a quarterback or coaching up that quarterback, or having uh, the front office's ear is saying, this is the quarterback I want, let's go out and get him. In terms of drafting a quarterback, uh, not waiting so long, maybe they have Pat Mahomes. <laughs> maybe he says, no, we're, we're ready to hit the button, we got to get Pat Mahomes uh, and not worry about Josh. You know, Josh Allen's maybe not even a, a thing. Josh Allen's the quarterback of the... Denver Broncos right now, for all we know. So, anyways, I just think it's interesting that Bills fans, and I know why. It's because it's the the pain of failure is ingrained, and you're constantly looking as for a defense mechanism to say it wouldn't have worked out here anyway. Which is the true definition of sour grapes, by the way. And I, I say this: this is another pet peeve of mine. People talk about sour grapes, meaning anybody who's yes. bitter. Yep. Which, by the way, is why would it be sour grapes if you're bitter? But anybody who's upset or pouting. Oh, that's just sour grapes. No, what sour grapes is, is once you fail to get something, convincing yourself that you didn't want it. Rationalizing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a rationalization. So that would be true sour grapes of saying, yeah, Frank Frank Reich over Rex Ryan, nah, I don't know. I'm I'm happy with where things are now. It wouldn't have worked. Or the discussions I used to have with Miami Dolphins fans when the Dolphins drafted Jake Long over Matt Ryan. Yeah, but Matt Ryan wouldn't have worked out. He would have gotten sacked a lot. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. You know, we, we need we needed a, a tackle. And yeah. Jake Long was a great number one overall pick, by the way. He was a perennial pro bowler before injuries got him. Um, maybe even a Hall of Famer, if not for injuries late in his career. All right. Anyway, so we're going to get back. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about uh, the dearth of minority hires in the NFL uh, as general managers and coaching positions get filled uh, by white guys. We're going to talk more about Robert Woods. I know I promised that uh, heading into the last break. And, of course, we're going to get into breaking down the two conference championship matchups, New England at Kansas City, New Orleans at Los Angeles, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan and on the 1270 The Fan app. This is the Tim Graham Show. It's just like a story. Now back to the Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with my usual co-host, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein, filming this mofo for <laughs> I was thinking of on Periscope. What's that? I was thinking of a different word there. It's going to start with B. Never mind. Broadcast? Yeah. That's, what That's exactly doing. what it was. You nailed it. Bonanza. Can we say we could say? Yeah, you could say bitch. I could say bitch. <laughs> yeah, I yes. thought I thought you were going to say filming this yes. bitch, and I was like, no. well, here we I go. I was actually going to go harsher, and I actually I dialed it back by saying mofo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't say that. <laughs> the mofo app. Let's let's do that. There probably exists already. Better than the fap app. <laughs> oh, you know that exists. <laughs> So anyway, Jonah Bronstein has a live feed of this on Periscope. We've been uh, we retweet it, so go check my Twitter feed, Jonah's Twitter feed, anybody's Twitter, my feed, Twitter feed, Mike Rodak's Twitter feed. If you want to check out a live stream of this 
and all previous Tim Graham shows. You can uh, they're logged on the internet somewhere forever. You can check them out on those feeds. Bobby Rosati did all the knobs as he's want to do. You only caught me with a joint. What are we vaping today, Bobby? Butterscotch and um, fruity pebbles. Jesus. Yes. Oh, is that yeah. a uh, TB12 shirt? It I is. Say? Uh, big Thank Tom you. Brady fan over there. Yes. I, I like the logo, and I uh, obviously love the guy. So do you, do you work shirt. out at his gym? No. No, you I order pl- his meal plans. I, I plan on it. I don't have enough money for that. Yeah, because you're too busy <laughs> buying butterscotch vape. Yeah, exactly. You think he's gonna make you uh, an athlete until you're 42, Ugh. eating his meal plans? Yeah, we could only hope. What would he's happen, great. do you think, if you showed up to Tom Brady's TB12 gym and told the trainer, you know, I want to get in shape, but I'm not going <laughs> to stop vaping? <laughs> I don't know, because <laughs> I guarantee he doesn't he doesn't inhale much. So, but vaping can make you lose anything. weight. Can it? So I've heard. What? Yeah, nicotine. <laughs> really? Yeah. It well, usually works with people quitting smoking and gaining weight, well, but there's a weight control me. aspect to it. Although I never so smoked, I've read. So, so I've heard. Oral fixation that makes sense. Sorts. You're telling me, Mike. No comment. <laughs> I no. I. It's Why not, wouldn't you comment? Not on my that? thing. Why, are you I, feeling guilty about something? Yeah. Or no, no. I, the <laughs> oral fixation part of it. <laughs> did the word oral make you giggle? Yeah, maybe it did. <laughs> Good thing you weren't a uh, big sports fan in the 80s and 90s when Oral Hershiser was born. Earl Morrill. Buffalo native. Be dead. Oral Hershiser. Yeah. Did not know that. The Buffalo News used to make a big deal out of anything that Oral Hershiser did because he was a Buffalo native until they learned, because it's in the baseball registry that right. he's went, you know, born in Buffalo, New York. And then finally somebody did a little bit of research and found out that the family was on a trip to Niagara Falls or something, and he just so happened to be born in, in <laughs> Buffalo, New York. They never, they never lived here. Born on his parents' honeymoon. I don't. Know, I made that. Up. I don't. Well, <laughs> could be. I don't know. Said it so matter of factly. Hmm. So we've been talking about NFL coaching hires. You know, it's a serious gentleman, a serious topic. <laughs> Actually, I don't want to get into it now. We'll get into it after the hour when we have more time to oh, uh, tease, spread our legs a little bit. Stretch our sorry, stretch our legs a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> and talk about it's a serious business. Yeah, that's right. This is a serious show. Yeah, <laughs> that was not intentional. Sure, Tim. Yeah, Bobby sure. marked that one. Bobby yeah. scribbling down our <laughs> just just this timestamp. That's that's what we're doing this segment. Just doing things we can give Bobby to clip up for next week's show. Bobby can take out of context. <laughs> Tell us about Robert Woods. Tyler Dunn. You did a feature on Robert Woods, the former Bills receiver who is happy to be out of Buffalo. He will tweet out or Instagram the occasional shot at being out of Buffalo. And I don't think that he necessarily had a problem with Western New York, but the Bills organization was such a mess. He never really had a quarterback who could throw him the ball or any type of coaching that was able to use him to where he felt he should be implemented and then he goes to a place of course the perfect place to this young offensive mind Sean McVay is able to unleash him and and let's face it Woods was doing well even before McVay Uh, so he's got got to change the scenery and he's showing what he can do and he's turned into a quite valuable player in the National Football League absolutely had a great time out there we uh, met up Got dinner, talked for a couple hours. Kind of long overdue, like we mentioned that year covering that Bills team in, in 2015. And he was one guy that I never really had that extensive conversation with um, to sit down and, and do a feature on. 
But it's funny. He could remember conversations we did have then, and he brought it up like immediately, like, oh, yeah, I remember when I told you I was a blocking receiver and brought up uh, his teammate Sammy Watkins wanting the ball 10 times a game, kind of poked fun at that. But I guess what strikes me with him is on that Rams team, you've got the glitz and glam of L.A. You've got Todd Gurley, this MVP candidate, Jared Goff making everything look easy, Sean McVay, as we – Talked about earlier, this wonder kind coach. Everybody's around him getting a job, but to win now, you kind of need that toughness. And just Robert Woods strikes me as that kind of a guy that I just wanted to see. Is is that the case out there? Is, is he maybe that player that takes a good team, makes them great, wins the Super Bowl? I, I can just remember him talking about playing with a torn groin all year in Buffalo. He played yeah. an entire year in Buffalo with a torn freaking groin. Mm-hmm. Don't know how that was even possible. So we got into that. Um, and and I guess really what the, the takeaway for me was this really feels like his time in L.A. I mean, he, he said that it, he was somebody that isn't quick to just slap a headline on any story. I mean, that's not his style, never really was his style. But he really believes and everybody around him really believes this is his moment where the world discovers Robert Woods. He goes all the way back to something I think Mike even, Mike even wrote about on the beat with – Losing his sister to cancer when he was young. They were best friends, inseparable. And that's a memory he carries with him every day to going to USC, playing through everything. You know, he got he suffered a concussion and missed one play. To Buffalo, playing through everything. And, and as you mentioned, the abysmal quarterback play. I mean, he had EJ Manuel, Jeff Tool, Tyrod Taylor, just Thad Lewis. Some of the, the Thad Lewis thrown in there. He, he says that EJ Manuel is a good quarterback, by the way. They're still friends, which. Kind of blows my mind. He had every well. He had you every just reason. you just answered your question right. right there. They're still friends. That's why he says that. But that that's what I'm saying. He's better he was than a quarterback some of the other guys you listed. That he has every reason to not be friends with. Cost him millions of dollars probably, and he he won't throw anybody under the bus. But I think his takeaway from Buffalo was it it, it made me better. Like he worked out in ways he never would have otherwise worked out and he's getting rich improved now improved ways and he wouldn't have and, and here he is in LA and, and he might be the difference his best season was his second season in Buffalo that was when Kyle Orton was the quarterback 65 catches for 699 yards and that was a season that Sammy Watkins did play the entire season and so uh, Robert Woods finished second to Sammy Watkins in yardage so a pretty good season especially for a second year receiver 65 for 699 and five touchdowns, but not even close to what he did this year for the Rams in his second season under Sean McVay. 86 catches, 1,200 yards, six touchdowns, add in a rushing touchdown and 160 yards doing that. Um, He's been a, a weapon, and it's something that the Bills could never figure out how to do, even though he showed that he was a capable player. And so he's going to help make this game on Sunday fun. And I misspoke earlier. The game is in New Orleans. It is the L.A. uh, Rams at New Orleans. So you have, of course, Michael Thomas and Todd Gurley and Alvin Kamara and Robert Woods. Mark Ingram. And Mark Ingram. And Brandon Brandon Cooks. Cooks. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun matchup. And uh, the atmosphere in the Superdome. Way better than the Coliseum, anyway. Uh, so, um, but you know, the Rams have been so good all year. In my mind, they're the they're they're my Super Bowl favorite. That's the team I picked to make it to the Super Bowl. That, uh, in fact, I think we were predicting as the playoffs began. I said a Kansas City, St. Louis Super Bowl, even though I thought that was a Los boring Angeles. pick. Los Sorry. Angeles, Los Angeles. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, 
a Los Angeles, Kansas City Super Bowl. San Diego, St. Louis Super Bowl. Yes. No, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> no. That didn't happen. Uh, so anyways, in my mind, the Rams are the favorite, therefore the Rams are the home field advantage. So every time I think about this matchup, I keep thinking that it's at the Coliseum. Well, they lost but... to the Saints in the regular season, right. which is why this game is in right. Barely. Three-and-a-half-point right. favorites games. the Saints are, and that comes down to being in the Superdome, I believe, uh, is where. And we're going to talk about that with Joel Staniszewski, of course, uh, coming up in uh, the next hour. He's going to break down all the matchups. I need to go back and look to see how he did. He went 5-0 and the first week with his picks. He picked four games and an under, and um, I think he struggled a little bit on the first day, but I think he turned uh, He's uh, for the playoffs, he's way ahead, so he's been given some great advice. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to have more with Tyler Dunn, a Bleacher Report. We're going to have football talk. We're going to get into some basketball, since Tyler uh, is into that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, you're, you're our guest. We want to make you happy. We have we believe in hospitality. You even right? offered me coffee? I did. You turned it down? I turned it down. Because had, you're had a good coffee. guest. Yeah. You're just you're gracious. You didn't want to put me out any. No. And uh, all kinds of fun stuff when we come back and i mean it i mean it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be something here on the tim graham show sponsored by viola cummings and Lindsay, your workers compensation and personal injury attorneys call 285-9555 visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com this is the tim graham show here on the sports radio 1270 the fan app the tim graham show this is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This castle is in unacceptable! CBS Sports Radio! Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, the Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not misohonia. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the January 16th, 2019 Year of Our Lord edition of the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay. You know who they are. They're your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Tyler Dunn's going to call them right after the show. Mm -hmm. Tell them Tim sent you. I will. Jonah Bronstein handling things on Periscope. You can see a live video feed of this in all previous Tim Graham shows with this Periscope feed. We tweeted it out. You can check out the link. Bobby Rosati doing a yeoman's effort of taking all of our comments out of context, clipping them for future damning performances to make us all look bad. That's fine. My specialty. I dig it. Nobody takes me less seriously than I do. That's good. That's a good, that's a really good demeanor. I would argue sometimes I don't, but. For real. Well, Nobody does. I don't often take him seriously. I don't take myself seriously. Mike Rodak of ESPN.com is my co-host, per the huge. <laughs> what do we think of these matchups on Sunday? Tyler Dunn is a national NFL reporter for Bleacher Report. He's been in these locker rooms. He's been following it all year. 
And you don't even have to get. I'm not talking about picking a winner or any of that stuff, Tyler. And Mike Rodak, you work, for, you cover the NFL for ESPN.com. We should have mm-hmm. some kind of authoritative stance on this weekend. Your general take on the games, the matchups, the fun. I mean, these are big boy matchups. There's no team in there like last year when it was Jacksonville yeah. against New England, right? Where. And I'm not talking about just Western. Western New York fans had vested, hated interest on both sides of the ball in that one. They didn't know whether they wanted the Patriots to squash Doug Marone or Doug Marone to help bring the end to the Patriots dynasty. There was conflict there. But on a national scale, nobody gave a damn about Jacksonville. I'm not, I, who, what was the other matchup? I can't even remember what Case it was. Case Keenum versus Nick Foles. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, the, the Eagles turned into a great story at the Super Bowl right. with their victory. Peel it back two weeks, and they were a team with a backup quarterback, an overachieving team, going up against, yeah, Case Keenum. The Vikings, pretty boring. Adam Thielen, you know, was start wasn't even a thing yet. I mean, yeah, he had a really good season, but, I mean, what was the Vikings? They were a defense team. Yeah, is that supposed to mean you got to think against a— Adam Thielen at receiver? Yeah, I want more uh, minorities at receiver. We were talking earlier about, uh, of course, these conversations happen off the air. I'm going to expose this. We were talking about uh, lack of minority coaches with all the different hires. It looks like Brian Flores is going to be the only minority out of the new batch of coaches, and he was uh, he's of Honduran descent. He's from Brooklyn, New York, but uh, Honduran. Uh, he's going to be one of only four minority coaches in the entire NFL now. Mike Tomlin, Ron Rivera, Anthony Lynn, and Brian Flores. And the executive ranks are being thinned out, too, as minority general managers are have been fired in recent years. They haven't been replaced by minorities. And so, of course... We then started talking about the lack of white cornerbacks. Where's where's the program for them? I'm just being looked at by nobody wants to join in this yeah, conversation. It's... I'm trying to show some sarcasm here, but I mean, you the, guys, the, the you Chargers... guys not joining in the conversation is not helping me out any. Chargers can't even get one on the field when they use seven defensive backs. That's right. It's a problem. It's a big time problem, and I'm I, I'm not, I can't I, I can't even get the words out of my mouth. How upset I am about that problem. Jason Seahorn weeps. Yeah. Jason Seahorn. Wow. John Lynch. Yeah. Safety. There's Adam something Archuleta we should do. We should go through around. the finalists for the Hall of Fame. Because it's not, it's not a slam dunk year. I think there's probably two, Tony Gonzalez and Ed Reed, who are slam dunks. Maybe Champ Bailey. But beyond that, you can kind of roll the dice with... Steve Hutchinson or Alan. What Fanica. are you talking about? Why is this a Hall of Fame all of a sudden? You're just looking know. to change I'm, the subject. No, I just it. it I got was my just mind trying. To, I was just trying to be provocative in a very sarcastic way. I do not. It's I, good, good, good thing to laugh about. Yeah, you know? <laughs> right. Laugh about race. I well, we're laughing about uh, the white race. We're are exactly. we allowed for it's, the jokes? Yeah, it really does depend where your laugh is is directed. Yes. So that's good that you clarified there. You know, it's like the uproar over the Gillette commercial. The, right. the the men out there saying, stop telling me to not hit women. You know, it's just Woman? like, what what is wrong with, like, why, of all yeah. the things to get upset over? Right. 
yeah. somebody telling me that I should be a nice guy. How dare you tell me to be a human to actually it's think America. of others? Yeah. Screw you, Gillette. I'm switching over to what's the other one? Is there another why, one? Why do you think I don't shave? <laughs> That's me too. I haven't shaved in weeks. <laughs> fed up. Yeah, I'm just fed up with everybody telling me not to not to beat women. Woman. <laughs> this is America. This is something else, isn't it? Yeah. What were we talking about? Minorities, we were talking about lack coaches, of minority lack coaches. Of. But if we were talking about the playoffs. Yeah, you were oh, talking we about were. something different. I changed the subject. No, I want to talk about why the NFL. Give it to him, Mike. He's yeah. the one that got it derailed first. I know. I want to talk about it's a, it, my, my name's on the show. That's true. Yeah. I want to talk about the lack of minority hires. Okay. And the Fritz Pollard Alliance is upset and should be. The Fritz Pollard Alliance uh, used to oversee all of the minority uh, aspects of hirings of general managers and head coaches in the National Football League for years. When the Rooney Rule was instituted, the Fritz Pollard Alliance was an outside organization. And a couple of years ago, the NFL, rather than have the Fritz Pollard Alliance oversee whether the minorities that got interviewed for these jobs, the NFL just kind of folded them into an advisory role. Give us a list and we'll handle it. And since then, and I don't know if that's the direct cause of why uh, we're having fewer minorities as coaches in the National Football League, but uh, the NFL's lost quite a few over the past few years, and now they're down to four if Brian Flores is hired by the Miami Dolphins. Brian Flores, the defensive coordinator of the New England Patriots, who's still in the playoffs, so that's not official. And not only that, but the GM issues as well with a, I don't know the exact number, a good number of minority GMs losing their jobs, or in the case of Ozzie Newsome, um, retiring. I believe Doug Whaley, of course, to you know, yes. make it local story. I Doug mean, Whaley Jerry relieved of his York. duties, um, fired. You know, you don't have to say relieved of duties. Teams love throwing that out there. They, they fired these people. Yeah, huh? they they took him out of their misery. He said, "Yeah, yeah you don't have to true. work for us anymore." I mean, in yeah. some cases, it's probably true. Chris Greer in Miami, the brother of Mike Greer, yep. former Saber, was just elevated into the my chair. <laughs> You was just elevated into your chair. <laughs> my chair is sinking on me. This is this is freaky. Much? It's just it's going down. I'm yeah. Feel so like Chris I'm, Greer, so but he was. I feel like I'm on the. Titanic. But he was the general manager already. Now he's but the. Oh, now, now he's now he's in charge. Right. He wasn't in charge before. It was Mike Tannenbaum. So there's an asterisk on that. So yes, he has more control than he had, but he's still in the same. Oh, title. he's the guy now. He wasn't right, but he's the only. I believe he's the only minority GM. I would have to double check. Um, but I think it's gotten to that point where, where he's the last one. And there weren't – I mean, maybe this will change after the draft, but there hasn't really been turnover among GMs this, this year. I mean, it's been very quiet on that. And you'd think a guy like Steve Kime in Arizona would have been on the hot seat. Well, he's not. Um, I mean, there's probably – you look down the list of who else, John Elway, I guess, but he's going to have nine lives out there because of, of what he means to that city and – you have Reggie McKenzie, who was pushed out in Oakland and was replaced with Mike Mayock. So that's another minority um, loss, if you want to call it that. And there's just not... I will call it that, because I think that that was through no fault of his own. Unlike right. Doug Whaley's situation, where he was fired for incompetence, 
Reggie McKenzie had done a very good job in cleaning Oakland. up their salary cap, and he was let go just because he didn't fit in. Because John Gruden is the uh, the power monger there, and so uh, that is a really good general manager candidate who's on the market and didn't get another look. Now, from the coaching standpoint, you had Jim Caldwell, who, from all reports, blew people away with his interview because a lot of people viewed. Uh, Jim Caldwell as not being that good of a candidate. Uh, he kind of he faded in Indianapolis, didn't do anything in Detroit. But then people started to realize that Matt, under Matt Patricia, the team got worse. And so folks are thinking, well, you know, maybe Jim Caldwell wasn't as bad as we thought he was. And then he gets a couple of interviews, maybe because of the Rooney rule, because teams are forced to have to talk to a minority candidate. And if not for that, then maybe... Who knows how, how few minority coaches we have in the NFL right now? Mike Tomlin got the job because of the Rooney Rule. Uh, he was not going to be the the candidate until the Steelers were the Rooney mandated mm-hmm. to do this to interview a, a minority. They interviewed Mike Tomlin. They were like, "Wow, this is our guy." So anyway, I'm um, now that Leslie Frazier did not get a lick of interest in this hiring cycle despite having the the second best defense in the NFL and Eric Bieniemy was a high caliber right. uh, that's the one to me candidate Chris Richards Richard yeah so sure. these are all really strong candidates who didn't get uh who didn't get any of the jobs and then you were mentioning of course there's some really good um executive candidates also that are out there yeah and these jobs just aren't getting filled. Seven, the league is seventy percent black. The opportunities are have been out there to uh, to rise through the ranks, but it stops at somewhere. There's a glass ceiling at some point. Why do you guys think that is? Well, I mean, just to backtrack at the coaches that that were fired. I mean, of those firings, um, were there any you know white or black that you guys disagreed with that you had a problem with? No, I think Marvin Lewis, it was probably his time in Cincinnati. Um, Vance Joseph. Well, Steve Wilkes would be the one in, That's in Arizona. That's the one, I, I think. Me, you got a yeah. one year is is pretty short unless there's It was a really bad year though. Scandal. Too. Really bad. With the rookie quarterback though, I mean, come on. That's you gotta you gotta have more patience than that. And I, I again I think Steve Kime should have been under the gun and, and wasn't. because um, that, that team got bad. Like they let that roster get old. They kept hanging on to Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald, and just they they were never looking towards the future. And then, well, boom, Carson Palmer's done. Larry Fitzgerald's on his last legs, and what do you have left? You have nothing. I mean, you're, they started Ryan Lindley in a playoff game a couple years ago. Like, you got to do better than that. I don't think they really have out there. And to your question, Tyler, I think that if you look at it on a case-by-case basis – and you say, "All right, was uh, Reggie McKenzie didn't deserve to be fired?" Right. And I know we're talking about you're you're talking about coaches, and we're I'm I'm mixing both groups together: general Todd managers Bowles and coaches. Deserve to be fired. I'd agree. Hugh Jackson deserved to be fired. Sure, but I think that when you're talking about a league that's seventy percent minority, and you take a look at the whole thing, so why why are there only four coaches that are minorities right now, and? Who's to say how long that happens? You know, maybe the num- the numbers trending down. Now there could be a cycle that comes through in which there are more uh, African Americans hired, but in a global or a holistic sense, it would seem that everything's out of whack and trending in the wrong direction. So that's where my curiosity is. 
is that, yeah, on a case-by-case, case, you know, you, but there have been a lot of cases. There's been a, there's a large sample size here, and it seems as though black coaches aren't getting the opportunities that white coaches are. And that means probably because they're not getting the opportunities to be head coaches or have significant authority at the college level. You know, because that's where this next uh, or that's one of the, the ways for the NFL teams to get their coaches is you get them from court, right? Coordinators or the college ranks generally. Mm -hmm. And there's a very low number of black head coaches in college football, too. So it's a it's an institutional issue. It's the whole sport. It's not, I don't think it's just the NFL. And the Rooney Rule serves a purpose. It does a good job. I think the Fritz Powered Alliance, it's been neutered quite a bit over the last few years, used to do, be able to do a better job uh, when the NFL allowed it. But I just think it's, un, it's unfortunate that, uh, that there aren't guys out there. There aren't minority versions of Brandon Bean out there. How many minority versions do you The great story of Brandon Bean that everybody loves about Brandon Bean, he was a self-made general manager. He worked in the equipment room and he rose through the ranks. And, uh, But you never hear of a, the black executive is generally a former player, uh, mm -hmm. came up in a totally different way. Or uh, you also have a lot of executives and coaches who are sons. There's a, The NFL is a – isn't it amazing that – this one job in the NFL of, of coach, uh, people seem to find uh, this, the, it must be in somebody's DNA to be a coach because they also, a lot of them come from a family. Yeah. You know, there's somebody's son mm -hmm. uh, or somebody's grandson, Sean McVay. You know, his, his grandfather and uncle were in the business. So Belichick. Well, yeah, I mean, Belichick's son is his safety's coach. His other son is a scouting assistant. Half of that scouting staff went to, or coaching staff went to John Carroll because that's where Josh McDaniels and Nick Casario were teammates. Like, if you're trying to break into scouting with the Patriots, you might as well go to John Carroll because that's that's probably your best chance. But Patriots Bill Belichick, or Mary, one of Belichick's he got into sons. coaching to his father, right? Steve, that's yeah, his I mean, it's not pessim. I mean, the Patriots win every year. Like, right, they're doing something right. I... Yeah, I mean, I, I get like well, that's the that's the reason why be, I think throw that's, that around with them, but that's why there's the resistance. The Shanahan's change. How about even the, the the Rex Ryan staff? Everybody, there was nepotism. Right. Everybody was related to somebody College else. Roommate, that's Jeff a better weeks. <laughs> there were there were I think four juniors on the team. I mean, you where's know, so, so you know Bobby April Jr., uh, Aaron right. Cromer, the offensive line coach his with the build. His staff. son was the was on the staff, and now they're out in Los Angeles. Right. Rex's son is on Anthony Lynn's staff. With the He's Chargers. done a phenomenal yes. job in Los Angeles, by the way. Aaron Cromer, like look at C.J. Anderson's done the last few. He must. Games. He has to be a phenomenal coach, yeah. Because to put up with all the stuff that he's done behind the scenes with the assault charge, where he and his son right. were accused of beating up a kid over a, a beach chair, mm -hmm. uh, and him uh, admitting to the locker room in Chicago that he was talking to the media, giving <laughs> giving negative stories from within the building uh, to reporters as a source. I mean, come on, what coach? That's that should be like the kiss of death. If if you can't be trusted to not stab your own team in the back to the media, but no, he got another shot right away, and now he's the offensive line coach uh, with the Bills, nonetheless. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and then gets accused of assault, mm -hmm. assaulting a kid, a teenager. Beach chairs. We were talking about that 2015 season. That that was what started the craziness of that year. That that whole incident. Yeah, 
I think it was 2015. Remember you and I, we were calling the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, okay. All the cops down there trying to beat each other on that story. Yeah. So there's a Lack lot of, a of people who there. seem to get second chances because they're related to somebody. And when yeah. you're constantly feeding from within the same family tree, you never... I mean, pun intended, I guess, because I'm about to say it. That you never branch out or get to something else. You don't pollinate other areas. How many how many coach how many minority kids are in it? So and so's son, you know, you, you, we we, took, we ran down a list of all the different sons and nephews and grandsons who are coaches in the NFL, and we can oh, yeah. go through a bunch more in addition to the Shanahans and whatever. But how many black coaches have their sons come up? Do they get that same chance? I mean, do they get staff? They have Bobby Babbage and or Bob Babbage and his son Bobby, right? It happens. It's all and over good the coaches. Place. Like it's been, it's been, it works. Like they're familiar with each other. Greg Williams, when he got promoted to interim coach with the Browns, who was his defensive coordinator, his son. Somebody didn't well, somebody just take a job and bring his son with him? Turn down a job? Oh, um, Gary Kubiak. Gary Kubiak in Minnesota. And the belief, or yeah. that maybe somebody is saying that the Broncos weren't ready to give Gary Kubiak's son a role on the team. So right. what's he do? He goes somewhere else and brings his son with him. These coaches are getting them their son. They're getting jobs not only for themselves but for somebody else. In terms, and I with the with the idea of when I leave, my son gets to take over and keep doing it. I mean, it's like Bob Knight at Texas Tech. You know, when Bob Knight left Indiana and went down there and took his son Pat Knight, and of course, eventually Bob Knight leaves, so Pat Knight can be the head coach. They pave the way for their kids. I don't, and maybe there's a bunch of examples out there. Feel free to call in at two seventy twelve seventy. I can't think of a, I can't think of black coaches who are allowed to do this. Or or take it. Maybe they don't take advantage. You could say, well, maybe they're not taking advantage of it. I find that hard to believe. That if you're in the NFL and you could set your son up to be in the league as an assistant coach or entry level whatever, they don't see it. You take a look at it all over the place. It's these these entry level coaches are are a lot of them are sons of white coaches. Well, just a thought. Or I should say, sons of coaches, and they all happen to be white. So this is the seeding of the staff. These staffs are being seeded. And now, of course, if you stick around long enough and you get that break because of who your dad is, you're going to get a second chance or a third chance. Right. Or you make a connection when your dad loses his job with the Houston Texans, but he has a friend who coaches the uh, Denver Broncos, and they'll take you on. Because I think there's a belief too at certain level that it's uh, diminishing. Like your coach, they just need a coach. Mm-hmm. I don't cool. think that the coaches there's not that you serve a purpose. You're not necessarily a great instructor. You're there to share the message of the head coach, not cause any waves. So they they a lot of head coaches view some assistants as interchangeable parts. So I might as well help my friend out. And so these kids they work their way up. And if you're in the league long enough, then eventually what happens? You might get a chance to become a coordinator. And then if you stick around at doing that long enough, then maybe you get a shot to be a head coach. I mean, it's anyway. So I think that the the cycle this this it's uh, this is something that that um, it becomes exponential and it constantly squeezes out others. It's it's but one the, of the most. I don't know if nepotistic is a. It's the there's so much nepotistic. Nepotistic. Right. I think you had an extra syllable in there. All right. Well, whatever. But it it's not it's not. Um, equal for all parties involved. If you're a running backs coach in the NFL, there's a good chance you're going to be a running backs coach for a while. Anthony Lynn's one example where that wasn't true. 
Anthony Lynn's son is with him and with uh, the, with uh, the Chargers. And so is Rex Ryan's son, Seth. Well, I was talking about, I was finally, somebody texted in and gave me an, an example of a black coach right. with a uh, with a son who's working with him. But if you're a running backs coach or if you're a wide receivers coach, if you're a defensive line coach generally, a lot of the offensive line in some cases, a lot of those guys don't get promoted. It's the quarterbacks coaches. Um, on defense, usually it, it tends to be defensive backs coaches. It's the headier parts of the game, supposedly, where that's where they draw the coordinators from. And then the rest of the position coaches are just grunts. And I don't know. You're telling me that, I don't know, Kelly Skipper couldn't be a coordinator on, on the Bills, the running backs coach? Or, I mean, Terry Obisky has been. Uh, he's fired now as the receivers coach. But Rob Boris, I don't know. Like, there's there should be equal chances depending on – Wherever, whatever part of the game you come from, as opposed to you go from being an offensive assistant, a slappy, a quality control guy, you move up to quarterbacks coach, you move up to OC, and you move up to head coach. So right now that's where a large number of coaches are coming from. All right, we need to take a break. We're going to get into the – it's, it's a worthwhile topic. I think it's uh, interesting to explore. Here we are in a room, five white guys talking about why there aren't more minority coaches. I yeah, I'm very unhappy about that. I'm, t- you know what? I'm also think that the Rooney Rule, the Fritz Power Alliance, should start pushing for more uh, black slot receivers. Also, hmm. see, nobody knows. Yeah, dead air, dead air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting behind you on that one. All right, that's fine. That's fine. I'm a, I'll, I'll go. I'll take that. I'll die on that hill. Tim Graham show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, at least for now. We don't know how long that's going to be. <laughs> Your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys are Viola Cummings and Lindsay. Call them at 285-9555. Visit on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I'm just like out of my gourd and I'm all hopped up on NyQuil and Tim Hortons coffee. So uh, let's see what kind of silliness we can get into. Taking your calls at 270-1270. For calling in to congratulate yourself on a well-deserved victory. But if you keep talking this way, they'll take you away to the funny farm. The Tim Graham Show on Twitter at 1270thefan. This is Sports Radio 1270thefan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270thefan. That funny farm sound clip. Is that Grandpa Al Lewis? It sure is. Love it. Former uh, basketball scout. Really? Grandpa Al Lewis. He did everything. He was. It's funny. Uh, I want to say that his big discovery was Oscar Robertson. No. I'm, I mean. I'm going to research. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Check I it honestly out. wouldn't doubt check it. Check it out. Look it up. I will. But he, he, he was based in, oh, shoot. I want to say maybe he came up in Cincinnati or something like that. Or maybe I'm just remembering that because that's where Oscar Robertson uh, played. But uh, he, yeah. He scouted basketball for decades, even while he was Grandpa Munster. Really? Yeah. Well, check, look it look it up. He may have some other discoveries there too. But how are your uh, Charlotte Hornets doing, Tyler Dunn? Rebounded recently with a big win 
against the San Antonio Spurs. Tony Parker facing his old ball club. Standing O. Came back in the game. 20 and 23. He did get a standing O. Came back. 17 seconds left. They're struggling, though, Tim. It's Kemba Walker and a bunch of guys, and they got to figure out whether they want to keep him or not. I want to talk about uh, Lonzo Ball and the event that he was recently in town for. Well, not Lonzo. Well, well, uh, well the big ballers or whatever. The big baller brand. Something Triple happened. Triple Jonah Bronstein, you were there. You were tweeting about it. I didn't know that this was happening, but there is uh, this phenomenon of the balls. What? It, explain to us what this was. And how much of a circus it was, a, was it? It was as much of a celebrity appearance, like if you might see a famous person in, appearing at a mall or a sports card show, as it was a basketball event. But it was also a basketball event. It was six games each day, 12 games over two days, a prep basketball team, some really good ones, some really good players going to Division One colleges. Where? It was at Villa Maria College. Okay. And it was organized by the Corey Graham, a Corey Graham-sponsored AAU team, which a lot of – which. Uh, Devante ticket gains from Buffalo, now playing prep school, going to Tennessee next year. It was a bit of a homecoming showcase for him, but within it, they got Spire Institute, where LaMelo Ball is playing this season for a high school prep team, a little different than most of the other prep teams there. And Spire and, Institute is located off of Interstate 90, in between Erie and Cleveland. Yeah, Geneva, it's kind Ohio. Of a, yeah, it's kind of on the uh, eastern border of Ohio. Right, and, and been a strong prep school. They came last year with Dom Welch a Buffalo native who was now playing at St. Bonaventure. So there was an existing relationship, an existing event. But with it now this year, it expanded and comes with it the big baller brand, LeVar Ball, LiAngelo Ball, the 15-member reality television production crew, and a lot of people coming out just to get autographs, to purchase sneakers and hats and take pictures with LeVar Ball, take pictures with LiAngelo Ball, LaMelo Ball, if you can grab them for a selfie after the court. And they played a game, and it was it was pretty entertaining to watch. It wasn't textbook competitive basketball, especially the game involving Spire, but it was sort of like an AAU All Star game type showcase. And there were Lamelo made a lot of interesting plays, or you know, entertaining plays, dunks, passes, steals. They put on a show. Was it? Well, give give me your take though of the ball phenomenon. And after seeing it and being there and observing it in person, what was your takeaway? Well, my biggest takeaway was that it definitely is a show. And you could tell, and I didn't have much interaction with LeVar Ball or LiAngelo or LaMelo, but from observing and having a brief interaction, you can tell that when the camera's rolling, especially with LeVar, there's a persona that's being portrayed and, and, and a public image that's always being fed when the cameras are rolling. And when you're on a reality television show like they are, at times, the camera's always rolling. But you could see a little bit of a different side of his personality when the interview ends, when the cameras turn away, and he's sitting there watching the game and saying hello to people. And it was very much like a celebrity coming out just to interact, you know, shake hands. Is he playing a role? Yes, absolutely. That, that was the, the sense I got. Now, it's a, very, it's a role that he's created for himself that he's very uh, he identified embraces. with. Yeah, so it's a bit of an alter ego in a way. But I got the it's sense his cash that it, register. Yeah, I got the sense that it was an alter ego and not the actual. He doesn't walk into the place uh, spouting off all of his never lost and things like that as soon as he walks in the door. I mean, he'll do it when people <laughs> in, in interplay with the fans. I'd but. rather talk to the Keenan Thompson impersonation of Levar Ball <laughs> than Levar Ball. Keenan Thompson on Saturday Night Live does a fantastic Levar Ball. But the interesting thing is he's quieted way down in terms of talking about the Lakers, talking about. 
his son Lonzo talking about LeBron. I did hear some things when he was signing autographs, talking maybe a little trash with somebody if they said they were a fan of a different I team. But how it was much, good nature. Say, how much does a LeVar Ball autograph go for? Five-on-five game, he good. One-on-one, I'm undefeated. Never lost. <laughs> I mean, you're an autograph guy. I'm not. A, well, I understand. the. I don't collect them anymore, but um, a LeVar Ball autograph, I don't know, 25 bucks. Because somebody would just want to be interested to say they had it. Mostly, probably as a joke more than anything else. On eBay. Um, I didn't get the sense that any of these people were getting autographs to go sell them, though. They were fans of the sure. show more than anything, and maybe the culture and the phenomenon that sort of surrounded this family and these players. And they were there to meet somebody, and then that autograph, as autographs really should be, is a memento, and memento of the time. I met LeVar Ball, and I watched LaMelo Ball play here in Buffalo. I wonder, too. The idea of LeVar Ball being quieted down and uh, not being as bombastic, I wonder how much Le- uh, LeBron James has to do with that because he has been vocal about LeVar being around the team, and maybe that's what allows him to come to places like Buffalo while his son's playing with the Lakers. We don't need you around here. Go off and do yeah. something with your other sons. I don't think it's a – first of all, I don't think LeVar Ball is going to let LeBron James tell him precisely what to do. I think LeVar and the Ball family and the people that represent them have read that situation as might not be so good for Lonzo and Lonzo's future with the team if they were as around and as loud about things as they were last year. That LeBron does have an ability to kind of control who stays and who goes – that Lonzo Ball is somebody who's a trade asset if they want to get Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, any of these guys that they might want to add to that team. And that the hope now is that LeBron likes playing with Lonzo, that the Lakers like how LeBron and Lonzo play together because LeBron doesn't make the decisions really. Magic Johnson, Rob Palenka, the GM, do that. But I think that they're staying, keeping their distance because they don't, uh, you know, if LeVar's there saying crazy things about the coach, and the management, that could get Lonzo Ball traded, and that's not what they want. Who has more of a future with the Lakers, Lonzo or LeBron? Well, LeBron. I mean, LeBron's not going anywhere until he retires. What if that's soon? Look, Lonzo Ball could stick around and play with LeBron and be there after LeBron retires. That could very well happen. But Lonzo Ball, they might have to trade Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram to get Anthony Davis and or certain players that they're trying to acquire. There's only certain ways you can make trades for players who are under contract or cap room you need to sign players. Lonzo Ball, even if they want to keep him, might have to be sent out in a deal. And now there's a question to whether LeBron, LeBron being a guy who has the ball all the time, Lonzo being a ball-dominant point guy that doesn't shoot it that great, if he fits with LeBron James. And they've had their moments this year where they've looked good and moments where they haven't looked good. I think they're still figuring out which of the young players the Lakers have are long-term pieces with LeBron, even though you make a good point. LeBron's 34 years old. Right. What Uh, about Kuzma? Well, but I think that they signed LeBron to make a run now with LeBron for however long he can do that for, two, three years. They're going to go hard after Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, a trade for Anthony Davis any other collection of superstars they can put around LeBron James. And if they happen to keep Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, they won't keep them all, but one or two of those guys, they're going to fill in around the superstar trio that that is built on that team. All right, when we come back, we're going to have Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas to talk about Sunday's games, New England at Kansas City, the Rams at New Orleans. 
Both home teams favored by about three points, and he's going to break it down from a betting standpoint. And uh, I'll explain to you a little bit more about Al Lewis, Grandpa Al Lewis, basketball scout, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. Mentions, by the way, that Grandpa Al Lewis used to be a part owner of the Chicago White Sox. Really? A renaissance sports guy, Grandpa Al Lewis. And uh, where he says that the best player he ever saw was Oscar Robertson at Crispus Attucks High School in Indianapolis. Oscar Robertson went on to play at Cincinnati. So, anyway. I'll be damned. Grandpa Al Lewis, basketball scout, renaissance man. This Richie Incognito... Jonathan Martin's story just continues. You might remember back last year when Jonathan Martin had that Instagram post where he had the shotgun and the shells on his bed and and said, you know, you only have two options. You have suicide or revenge. And you might remember he ended up getting checked in um, for a mental evaluation by the LAPD. It was considered uh, uh, the suggestion was he was going to go shoot up his high school. Right. And so that's what a judge ruled Wednesday is that he's going to have to stand trial for that post, um, particularly because there was a fear, uh, not only from the high school point, but from Richie Incognito, who, according to a detective who testified as part of this this court proceeding, uh, the Incognito was so freaked out when he learned about the post on February 22nd, this according to the New York Daily News, he hopped in a car with his dad, brother, and dog and drove north from Scottsdale, Arizona for two hours to meet an FBI agent at a safe house. He was described being in a state of panic. He was in fear, this detective said. I mean, and obviously Richie Incognito's had his own demons as well um, for his arrest later last year, I believe in July or August, where he um, made some threats you might say at a, at a funeral home after his his father died and um, at a gym and at a gym uh, as well that was talking this, about this too. accusing a man of being uh, an informant or working for the fbi or mm-hmm. some sort of surveillance institution so you know as these guys get further away from the structure of the nfl where everything's laid out for them and and there's a lot of resources available to them um things i think look Darker for each player is safe to say. You've spent a lot of time with Richie Incognito, Tyler. You did a, some in-depth reporting on him when things were looking positive for him. What, what's your take as you see what's happened to, to Richie here the last year or so? The last time we spoke, um, I'm trying to remember when that was, uh, he, he was in a good state of mind. I mean, I, I came away from that conversation thinking that, that Richie was – Back on track, um, had the support system he needed, and this was after everything that you just mentioned, Mike. So um, I I haven't checked in lately, but as you know, I mean, you, you have to have the support system around you. You have to have that structure. You have to have that, that, that purpose and meaning in life um, after you're done playing. So I, I hope he's at that place. So, I mean, this I, I know for a fact that this whole incident shook him in a big way with Jonathan Martin. Yeah, I hope that he – finds the help he needs i try to exchange texts with him every now and then he doesn't respond i not that i blame him i don't i don't want to read anything into that i mean he just wants to keep his distance but uh, i have tried to reach out to him on a handful of occasions and uh, don't get anything back so i hope he's doing okay i know that his former teammates are worried about him they've tried to get him some help by uh, having him um committed 
to an institution for a period of time until he can get the help that he needs, but um, he keeps leaving um, with some help of family. But I don't want to get too much into mm-hmm. it because some of the things were told to me um, confidentially. But he's uh, it's uh, it's a sad situation and a hard thing to transition to when you go from talking about something troubling as that to Joel Staniszewski in Vegas. From Buffalo to Las Vegas, Joel Staniszewski. The Bills make me wanna. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a whole. It's more like a royal flush. Joel, you took some lumps last week. You went 5-0 and in the first week of the playoffs. And last week, respectable and close on a couple. I mean, there were some heartbreaking uh, results. In a few yeah, of your we, picks. last week was uh, two and three, and uh, a combined uh, one point and a made field goal away from going four and one. Right. But between the two weeks, still hitting at 70%. Seven which and if three. If you hit 70% in sports betting, you are a god. Now, granted, I know for a fact there's no way I could continue at 70% over the, any extended period of time, but over two weeks at 70%, I'll take it. Only three games are left, Joel, unless you want to do the Pro Bowl next week. Uh, we can oh consider that. Definitely not. Uh, well, let's see what the line is when it comes out. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we want to give it a, give it a shot. Maybe, you're, maybe you'll have a really bad week and feel like you need to redeem yourself I, I, yeah, in some I way. Yeah, pick a side in total. To, to, you know. the, the Pro Bowl, historically, has always gone over. Um, the last couple of years has been just a complete joke where no one's even trying at all. Um, so it's hit or miss, but in previous years got in from like the 2005 to 2012 range was just a guaranteed lock for the over every year. Well, seven and three so far, that's healthy. And, yep. uh, again, if Adam Venateri, if Mike Rodak's boyhood hero, Adam Venateri doesn't choke on a field goal and an extra point, we're talking about something totally different. It's not the ice yep. man. He's the ice cold man. Oh, he <laughs> said that one in the back pocket. I have actually. You've been waiting with that one. All day for that one. You didn't see it. Nobody else used it. No. So Joel, let's start. And we're we're up against it here. And we apologize for the late start on this segment. Uh, but when we can't get you on the line, we have to talk about serious stuff. There's only two games. Right. There are only you know, two games. Thought, though. What? It's okay. Yeah. Make it short and sweet. You know, two games, four awesome teams, two basically identical spreads of three. Um, the the Saints have gone up to three and a half in a couple of spots. Um, but if the, I was talking to somebody, uh, the other day and I said, if the, if the chiefs are hosting the Patriots and they're minus three, the saints should be more like five hosting the Rams, because that is such a dis- matching numbers for those two m- matchups is just not correct. So which one's too big and which one's too small? Uh, well, I think, I think they're they're I think the, uh, Chiefs are too big of a favorite, and I think that the Saints are too small of a favorite. Okay, so you like New England on the road, giving three point or getting three points. Correct. And you like the Saints to win at home over the Rams. Yeah, I would. Um, 
giving three I and would, a half. Are you okay with yeah, three can, and a half? You can still find a three in town, so I would shop around and pay a little extra juice for the three and 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 be a little feel a little more comfortable with the three than a three and a half. Uh, but I did see uh, a stat today: Bill Belichick five and one straight up in the postseason against a team that has the number one offense. And he's held those teams to a combined, uh, an average of 19 points a game. So it doesn't make a difference how good your offense is throughout the year. When it comes down to go time and you're a young Patrick Mahomes and you got Tom Brady and you got Bill Belichick on the other sideline. And it's negative five degrees out. Yeah, odds are stacked against you. How do you factor in weather? Mike Rodak brings up a good point. How do you, uh, what about the weather situation? Uh, you, you have to assume that the weather eventually will start to affect Tom Brady more as he gets older and older and keeps playing. Uh, but we're not talking about the L.A. Chargers playing in one-degree weather. We're talking about a team that plays in cold weather every year this time of year, playing in cold weather. It, I don't think it makes that big of a difference. Traveling from east to the Midwest uh, doesn't affect them. I don't think the weather will, will really play into it much at all. All right, let's just address the totals. You don't have to give a pick on these if you don't want to, but uh, the total in the Rams-Saints game, 57 points, and the total in the Patriots-Chiefs game, well, it actually opened at 58. It's now down to 55.5, probably because of the weather. Um, Yes, it's definitely come down. It's it's even down as low as 55 some places. All right, so does anything jump out to you as a a solid pick one way or the other on those two uh, Props. When you see a, a number like that dropping so much, it is a sign that they're getting a lot of action on the under, and a lot of it has to do with weather. Um, I, I would I would lean on that as well. Um, if it was a fifty eight out there, I would definitely be all about the under. Now that it's dropping so much, I, I wouldn't be betting it um, at this point in time. I would see how the game is being played and and possibly bet a second half line or an in running to, uh, total. But as of right now, I wouldn't I wouldn't touch that total. Anything and same, uh, you staying away from the Rams uh, Saints total. The, the Rams Saints, I mean, <clears throat> that game they could score a hundred points. So if I'm looking at that total at at 57, I'm thinking over off the top of my head. Um, the Saints, their defense has been playing pretty well recently, but I I don't see them slowing down a team like the Rams. I see them both scoring easily in the 30s. And when I look at that on paper. Obviously, it's playoffs, so everything's a little bit different. You know, your offense is a little bit tighter. You you don't want to make mistakes, uh, but I, I can't see these two teams, you know, slowing down at all. All right. Joel Staniszewski with his picks. Let's see if he remains scalding hot as he has through the postseason so far. We're looking at it as in an overview sense, Joel, not week to week. You're seven of and course. three. You did not go two and three last week. You're just seven and three. Seven and three. Hey, you, you don't you don't you don't look daily or weekly. You got to go in the big picture. That's right. It's a it's a long play. Joel, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. I also want to thank Tyler Dunn of Bleacher Report for sitting in the studio for the full two hours. We got through a couple of complicated topics in which Tyler looked at me and didn't say anything wisely. Thanks for coming in. I tried. I tried. No, hey, pleasure's all here, man. Good to see you. Good. To, good to be seen. Let's uh, let's have beers. Anytime. Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, <laughs> Jonah Bronstein of Jonah Bronstein Enterprises, and Bobby Rosati, producer extraordinaire. Thanks for tuning into the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys.
Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Hey, download the Sports Radio 1270 The Fan app so you can listen to this show on the go. Check out a podcast of this, which will be posted shortly on iTunes and SoundCloud. Catch you next week. Tim Graham Show, now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. He was in for the drinks and the skirts, allegedly. <laughs> Jason, Jason drinks and skirts. Feel free to call in with your favorite Derek Roy story. <laughs> 270-1270. And on The Fan's app, free to download in the 